2: Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar magazine. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastic. And I wanted to say Happy New Year and thank you for the fan mail you sent during our winter break. In case it wasn't clear from the absence of a long list of names in the credit section, it's pretty much a one-woman show, which means that it takes time to make, and it makes fan mail even more heartwarming. And what would really warm my heart this year would be seeing you all sharing the show with your friends, family, coworkers, casual acquaintances, dentists, whoever. Podcasts have proven to be a shockingly word of mouth medium, so please get those words out of those mouths. We live on social media under the American Scholar umbrella, so you can always tweet us at the AMSCO or follow us on Facebook. Those links will be in the show notes too in case you want to give us a follow. Okay, so you've waited for the episode long enough. Here we go. You might not know what EDM stands for, but odds are you've heard it. In the past 30 years, electronic dance music, or EDM, has gone from an underground rave scene to a global phenomenon. Journalist Matthew Collin was into the British rave scene from the beginning. It informed his earliest work, and he wrote a book about it called Altered State. But in the 20 years since his book came out, and even in the time it took to write, EDM and the culture surrounding it has completely transformed. It's on the radio now, for one, and the DJs who book giant shows in Ibiza look and sound very different from the originators of the genre. Matthew Collin traveled all over the world to figure out whether the spirit of Acid House, as he calls it, lives on anywhere, or whether commercialization killed EDM. And the result is a new book, Rave On. He joins us from Serbia. Thanks for talking to me, Matthew. Uh,
1: Thank you for inviting me.
2: So first question, why did you decide to write this book in 2018, two decades after your first one about dance music culture? Uh, What's changed and what were you curious about in this span of decades?
1: Um, My first book was about how the whole thing started, specifically in Britain and the anarchic, chaotic early days of Acid House and the rave scene, as we call it back then in the late 80s kind of a tribute to a culture that i'd grown up in and that i loved so 20 years on i wanted to see you know how it had changed how it had developed what it had turned into and also try and look at you know, all the things that i loved about it all the things i believed in at that time were they still worth believing in? Was this still a culture that could inspire? Was it a culture that I could still love?
2: So what exactly about the culture of electronic dance music are you talking about when you mean things you could love about it?
1: Well, in the late 80s, the music was really new. It felt really vital and raw and innovative. Uh, it was like something we'd never heard before, like some alien sound that had descended to Earth. And that was, for me, was was really exciting. You know, It was the shock of the new. Tracks made up of just uh, you know, drum machines and bass lines and maybe someone just shouting or moaning under his breath. That was then, I mean, like 30 years ago now, more than 30 years ago now. Today, what was this do-it-yourself, scrappy, underground culture has become um, what's been estimated as a $7 billion a year global business. I mean, electronic dance music is now everywhere, you know, touched everyone from Rihanna to Radiohead. It's been highly influential and highly commercialised. So... My question was, when it's reached that level, does it still mean anything at all? Or is it just a business now?
2: Well, I want to start at the beginning, since I know relatively little about EDM. Um, And I was really surprised to learn that one of the origin cities was in Detroit. But as one of the senior Detroit DJs that you include says, John Collins, he says, some people don't even know that techno was created by black people. So how did a genre of music that a lot of folks associate with Europe get started in the middle of America?
1: Techno in Detroit was essentially created by a bunch of young black guys who were heavily influenced by science fiction and electronic pop music from Europe, like Kraftwerk or Yellow, European electronic bands of the 1980s, but they were also into black American funk as well, uh, bands like Parliament or Funkadelic. And what they tried to do in that naive way of youth was to kind of, in some way, synthesise uh, these, these two elements. And in doing so, they came up with this um, variation on dance music that they decided to name Techno, and they were really doing this kind of in a void in, in Detroit. In the 80s, uh, obviously, there were, it was uh, pretty hard times for Detroit, and they felt that this was some kind of reaction to their environment. Instead of being trapped by their environment, they were going to channel this amazing futuristic music and somehow like blast off into outer space on the sheer power of their imaginations. And I guess it was just an accident of history that that uh, you know a few young black guys in Detroit managed to invent this sound. Now we all know the name techno. They just invented it.
2: So was the evolution of techno in Detroit like the beginnings of other forms of electronic dance music elsewhere was it also a really localized response
1: at the end of the disco era you know disco started going down but there were still clubs that needed dance music to play to their audiences so two of the the key cities aside from detroit were chicago and new york and Actually, the names of the genres of dance music they created were incredibly specific. House music. Now, the name house music comes from the Warehouse Club in Chicago where a DJ called Frankie Knuckles, one of the originators of house music, one of the first people to make uh, records that were described as as house music, where he used to DJ. People used to go into record shops saying, can I get some of that music that, that Frankie plays down at the Warehouse? And one day, Frankie Knuckles goes into his record shop and he sees there's a category of records stacked in there labelled house music. And he asks, um, what is this house music? Well, don't you know? That's the music that you play down at the warehouse. Another form was garage music, developed in New York. The name comes from the Paradise Garage, where a DJ called Larry Levan used to play. Again, incredibly influential in the period after the um, disco bubble burst but dance music still continued I think what has to be said is that these were essentially black and gay clubs this is where this music came from this is the community this music was made for and by in these early days and I guess with the popularity of electronic dance music around the world, uh, that sometimes this becomes overlooked. Uh, You know, you look at this superstar DJ and it's um, some fashionably dressed, wealthy, uh, white guy. That wasn't how it was in the early days. That wasn't how it was at all. I mean, I remember in the early 90s in New York, you would go to one of those big old warehouses, and all the ballroom kids would be in there and around like eight, nine, ten o'clock in the morning, they would make a runway in the middle of the room and and start voguing down this improvised catwalk to electronic dance music. Um sometimes it might be house or techno or even craft work, but this Club was turned into the stage for the show they were making for themselves, starring themselves. The music was made by and for. A very specific community for very specific reasons so they could celebrate in safety so they could express themselves in an environment in which they would not be judged in a wider society which was at the time and, and still can be in some places very oppressive.
2: So dancing is essential to the Vogue and kiki scene but I feel like there are a lot of genres of EDM that don't ironically encourage dancing. And I was wondering, I mean, what's the relationship between the dance and the music in electronic dance music? Can you separate the one from the other? And does this sort of get at when electronic music became electronic dance music?
1: Ooh, that's quite a difficult question. <laughs> um, <laughs> obviously, there is uh, electronic music, which is in some senses part of dance music culture, but it's not actually music you would dance to i mean this music has diversified so much with all these different subgenres. some music which is made for the club some which is made for home listening in terms of ballroom and the kiki scene i mean we have to remember that a major influence on the electronic dance music we have today is disco this in many ways grew out of disco. It grew out of people with a very basic drum computer and maybe a keyboard trying to make their own version of of a disco song but of course as they only had had a a little drum machine and and a slightly rudimentary keyboard, what they were going to make wasn't going to be the kind of sweeping strings and uh, orchestral glide of, of disco and its pomp. so That, in some ways, was the origins of some of this music, an attempt to imitate disco, and disco still exerts its influence even now. I mean, disco was the music of uh, the original voguing scene, of the scene you see portrayed in films like uh, Paris is Burning. But, obviously, everything moves on, and kids who are into ballroom and voguing today... Uh, they they have their own style of music. They have uh, their, this kind of new school Borum sound, which is a heavily electronic sound, very chopped, very raw, very energetic. And also the dancing has, uh, has changed in response to that. But it's still a part of dance music culture and as one of the spiritual hearts of it.
2: Okay, so let's talk about places where the DIY bohemian ethos of electronic dance music has survived. I mean, where do we see individual styles emerging that couldn't possibly have come from anywhere else or which are in conversation with both their own history and dance music history, like places like South Africa, say, or elsewhere?
1: South Africa was really interesting for me because... um... One of the specific uh, sub-genres of dance music that's grown up in in South Africa since apartheid is uh, called GOM, and that was developed in Durban by, again, a bunch of young guys using cracked software, cheap PCs, often their parents' PCs, just trying to make a, a, a kind of music that would essentially make them popular in their neighbourhoods, that they could play to their friends. And, you know, they tried to make a, a kind of mixture of house music and hip-hop. Um, of course, they didn't succeed, but the, the music they actually made turned out to be one of those uh, happy accidents that often fuels developments in, in musical culture. And they came up with this uh, dark... Heavy, really very intense, druggy kind of sounds that they called GOM. Now the question was, you know, these these are not by any means re- rich guys, even in the context of South Africa, and you know, how are they going to get the music out there? You know, they've they've managed to uh, create a kind of rudimentary track. So the method they found was uh, to give. Discs of their tracks to minibus drivers who uh, drive passengers from the townships to the city and back again. And these minibus drivers like to play good music because they think it will get them more passengers. So all these producers are giving the tracks to the minibus drivers, and this is how they initially managed to popularize their sounds. And this was really kind of inspiring to me because I was trying to find if this do-it-yourself innovation still existed. You know, this, I don't know, spirit of acid house, as I would call it, from Britain in the the 80s. And in South Africa, I've really found that, yes, there are still people who are trying to express themselves by any means necessary because they feel this need to express themselves. And in doing so, they move this culture forward.
2: So what about the other half of that coin of really needing to express yourself? It seems like electronic dance music was a musical outlet for a lot of political and cultural frustration, you know, like Thatcherite England and um, Fractured Berlin. And it's really hard to see that in the raging club scene of Ibiza today or even in Berlin today. But does electronic dance music survive as a kind of, musical, political, rebellion, anywhere else in the world?
1: I think when you talk about the the politics of electronic dance music, I mean, I think there's two important elements to it. There's There's the kind of what I call reactive resistance. That's when the culture feels it's under threat and therefore takes a political stance in in response to that threat and then it's there's the kind of symbolic uh, resistance element the, the the actual nature of the culture itself which originally and in some places still does act as this kind of safe haven for the marginalized the mavericks the crazy idealists the the mad creators one of the places that i saw this played out very strongly in uh, recent months was actually in Tbilisi, the capital of the former Soviet Republic of Georgia. The authorities sent in armed police to raid two of the most important clubs there, clubs that have become identified with a a new generation of liberal Western-looking youth in what is still a very conservative and reasonably straight-laced post-Soviet society. They sent in these armed police units to raid these clubs. Normally what happens is people go home and they moan about how their night out has been ruined. This didn't happen. What happened was people immediately took to the streets and overnight they marched to the old parliament building in the very centre of the city, the main street of Tbilisi, and they set up a sound system there on the steps of the old parliament building. The main boulevard filled up with thousands of ravers and they remained there for the entire weekend to protest what they felt was an attack on their culture, an attack on their beliefs, an attack on their generation in a way. During the course of those couple of days, right wingers and hardline Orthodox Christian traditionalists, they kind of massed and uh, tried to attack the dance music protesters. So, and in the end, the, the police had to uh, actually uh, protect the protesters. How this all ended up in a weekend of like high drama and and uh, and surprises. Uh, was you know perhaps the most surprising thing of all is the uh the country's uh, interior minister um, who's in charge of uh, all police forces uh, he came down to the demonstration uh on the on the on the sunday night on the second day and he took the microphone and he apologized for the raids i mean it was absolutely unbelievable now, for me 30 years down the line I'm dancing to a, a sound system on the steps of a parliament building. I mean I thought I really thought I'd seen <laughs> I thought I'd seen everything um over those years but but this for me I, uh, was still something like really new and uh, really exciting. So I guess on this journey that I took for you know what does it all mean the the you know the quest for the soul of electronic dance music In some places in the world, maybe a very few places, maybe amongst only a few people, but the spirit of it does really endure.
2: To see where else the dream of Acid House survives, like Shanghai, check out Matthew Collins' book, Rave On. Matthew was kind enough to send me an array of songs to accompany this episode, because I don't know anything. So we started off with Orbital's 1992 track, Healthy On, On, and On. And to send us out, here's Fingers, Inc. with the 1988 track, Can You Feel It? We'll be back next week. Till then, take care and stay sharp.
0: How up?